0: Everyone and welcome to the Rumcast. This is the podcast that talks all things rum with the people who love and shape it. Today's episode features an interview with Alessandro Gonzalez, co-founder of Dacabend Rum, which is a very interesting cane juice rum produced in the Oaxaca region of Mexico. And there's a lot to get into with that. But first, Will, what's up with rum in your neck of the woods?
1: Hey, John, you know, one thing I don't talk about all that often on the show is cocktails. I think you and I both were, you know, primarily interested in rum from, you know, Mm -hmm. just having it on its own. But I do like to make cocktails a bit at home. And I had a rum cocktail last weekend. And I feel like this happens rarely with me where I make a recipe that I've never tried before. Okay. And I'm just absolutely blown away by how good it is. And I'm not ascribing any of the credit with this to you know my own skills, but I just think mm-hmm. this recipe is so good. It's such a great rum cocktail. And I really haven't had another one like it, even though it's a riff on a common rum cocktail. And it's a recipe from one of our past Rumcast guests. It's a Shannon Mustopher recipe. Okay. And it's a cocktail called Tour Le Carbet. And I believe La Bay is a town in Martinique, so mm-hmm. you can probably guess this is a cocktail that features rum agricole. sure, And it's basically, it's a riff on another cocktail called the Royal Bermuda Yacht Club, which is a riff on the daiquiri. So basically, I think you could call this a daiquiri riff. I feel like
0: everything goes back to the daiquiri. I don't know why. I just feel like there's that kind of route. Well, not everything, but a lot, right? It's it's a
1: pretty common cocktail template, you know? And even, you know, you go across to other spirit categories like Gin, like a a gimlet, is basically Mm -hmm, a -hmm. a daiquiri with gin, you know, or a margarita. Yeah, yeah, margarita is, yeah. Is, is basically a daiquiri riff, but with, <laughs> but with tequila instead. Right. right, And this cocktail, so I'm glad you brought up margarita because it has, well, depending on the recipe, a lot of margarita recipes have orange curacao right, uh, or right. triple sec in them. Mm-hmm. And so does the Royal Bermuda Yacht Club. That cocktail is basically two ounces of rum, three quarters ounce falernum, three quarters ounce lime juice, and three quarters ounce orange curacao. So this cocktail is a riff on that, but the key ingredient to this is something called Suze, which is a French aperitif made from gentian root and other botanicals. It's very, very bitter. The reason I bought it originally wasn't for this cocktail. It was because I really like Negronis. And there's a variation of the Negroni called a white Negroni. And instead of Campari, you use Suze. And okay. so I got it for that, but then I was looking up, you know, okay, I gotta find other drinks to use this semi-obscure French aperitif in. Yeah, I've never you're,
0: even heard you're, of you're this. You're shaking like, your how head. Do you, yeah. How do you spell that? S-U-Z-E. Okay, got it. I was yeah. thinking like almost like Suze, like French like sous vide. Um, oh yeah, yeah, type yeah. Of thing. No, So S U Z. Okay, so it's like little, Suze, like hey, it's like a cool girl name. Suze. I guess so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. What's up, Suze? Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, the the drink Tour Le Carbet. It's two ounces rum agricole blanc, three quarters ounce falernum, three quarters ounce lime juice, and a half ounce of sues, So again, like I was saying, it's very bitter. Um, it's kind of it's got some savory notes to it. It's mm-hmm. it's earthy, it's it's kind of floral. It's it's a really powerful ingredient and I think it's it might be kind of a love it or hate it ingredient. Kind of it's, it's you know, it's it replaces Campari in an agronian. Yeah, and I know how yeah. you feel about Campari. So Yes, you do. <laughs> but uh, the other thing that about not it, changed. <laughs> it's the color of lemon lime Gatorade and it turns oh. any drink into that color basically, okay. which is pretty like interesting. absinthe? I think of absence as
0: that color. It's uh, actually mm-hmm. I,
1: I have Shannon's book right here, and I'll show you the picture. I don't know how good the colors will come through, but okay. it's almost like a neon yellow. Yeah, it kind looks of.
0: irradiated. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It looks like um you know the the beginning of The Simpsons, how Homer works at the nuclear power mm-hmm. plant and the little yes. piece of plutonium like goes in there? shirt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like the color of plutonium gotcha. in The Simpsons. So, anyway. I I don't know what's going on in this cocktail. I think it's just how well the Suze and the cane juice rum play off of each other, but it, absolutely blew me away. Uh, It's like one of the best daiquiri riffs I've ever had. I want to try it with every cane juice rum I have in my cabinet now. And Mm. I just, I had to give it the recommendation on the podcast because it's one of those drinks that, you know, unless you go out of your way to buy a bottle of Suze, you'll never make it. And I don't know that there's another ingredient that really replicates exactly what that does. So if you like daiquiri riffs and you like stuff that's a little, you know, complex, a little bit bitter, that kind of thing, Definitely get a bottle of Suze. I think it's about thirty bucks, and it is worth it yeah, just bad. just to make this one drink. It's so good. So I just had to get that recommendation out there at the top of the podcast. Give the shout out to Shannon. And uh, honestly, this is a, a a cocktail that I would love to try Daca Bend in as well. So mm. uh, it all ties together. I think any any cane juice rum that has you know cane juice rum in and of itself is kind of bold, has a very distinct. Taste, And so I think Sue's is also in that bucket. And so they're Mm kind of like big enough flavors to coexist together. So I think you could try a lot of different cane juice rums in this and, and have a lot of fun with it.
0: Yeah. It's funny you mentioned cocktails. I I was actually also recently looking for a bottle of green chartreuse after you mentioned that it's impossible to find. Yeah. And because that drink that I had in Manhattan recently had green chartreuse Uh in it, and I wanted to try to you know recreate that, even though I would probably do it terribly. But (laughs) yeah, I can't find it still. I've been to multiple places, still can't find it. And even if I do, apparently it's going to be very expensive. So I guess I'll have to just give up on that. There's some other replacements, I guess, that people have mentioned that I've seen, but I just don't know if it's really a one-for-one replacement, or if it's just, ah, that'll do big, you know? Yeah, I've always read, I've never tried something to
1: substitute for green chartreuse, but I've always read that it's pretty difficult to, Mm -hmm. and it's like you can get something that's, like, you can make a drink where you replace it with something else that's good, but it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily, like, a a, a real replacement.
0: I guess I I would still try it if I can find it, or maybe I can find one of the local bars here in Miami that might have it, so that I can see, but... You know, it's just I'm trying to explore a little bit in that area cautiously. Uh, spread your wings again, a little. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've made some <laughs> drinks for people here at the house, and, and I actually had some people like them, like rum old fashions and such. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. I'm not I'm not ridiculously bad at it, but yeah. uh, at the same time, you know, it takes practice, and so you know, we'll keep going with it.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the um, other thing I like about this drink is it doesn't require you to make anything like, uh, you know, mm, it has fresh lime right. juice in it. But other than that, everything just comes out of a bottle. So you're not having to make like a homemade health syrup or, or anything. Yeah. So I feel like it's it's pretty decently replicable if
0: you can just measure things properly and you use fresh lime juice. I but. like making the syrups and stuff like that, but the here's the problem because I don't use it very often. Yeah, I feel like I make the syrup, I put it in the fridge, and, and then like you, you throw know, it out two months forward. later. Exactly. Yeah, and then I'm like, damn it! I spent all this time and money to make this and never used it again. I guess I need more people to come.
1: Visit. I guess so. <laughs> well, anyway, on that note, what's what's going on with you?
0: Oh man, it's been an incredibly busy week here and. For many reasons, I think, in Miami, but so, you know, I did want to share with everybody that unfortunately, we weren't able to make the scheduling work uh, for Alessandro with me. So will, you're carrying the load this time in this interview and solo, just so solo pod. Yeah, yeah, just so people won't be shocked and and uh, be listening for me to jump in and I don't. <laughs> you're but, strangely uh, quiet on this interview, John. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what happened yeah I mean i'm I'm incredibly sad to have missed it because I think dacaben is super cool and we you know we uh, both of us we prep by writing questions and I yeah. wrote a bunch of interesting questions so will you'll have some of mine and and again I'm sure you'll do a great job with getting all of those out so i look forward to hearing it afterwards but I did want to talk about one thing since I'm not going to be as much in the uh, the interview and that is something I saw on Social media, pretty recently. I wanted to talk about this uh, new release from our friends over at Mount Gay in Barbados. Yes, and that is the new Master Blender Collection entry, which is the Pedro Jimenez the PX Sherry Cask Expression. Mm -hmm. Have you seen this yet uh, through the interwebs? Yeah, I I saw it. I noted it and (laughs) I moved (laughs) on
1: quickly. Yeah, I I feel bad saying that because I'm sure it's a. I'm sure it's going to be a fabulous rum. You know, I. I haven't had too many of those Master Blenders collections releases from Mount Gay just because they're pretty limited and you know they don't really get up to this area. And on top of that, they're very very pricey. So I tend to just kind of you know note it. Oh, that's cool. That would be cool to try, but I'm probably not going to buy it because what 250 bucks probably? 270. Yeah, I think somewhere there. Yeah.
0: So yeah. I feel like this one hits me a little bit more than you for some reason well number one I think I shared that I, I bought the Andean Oak expression which I think was the fourth and this is now the sixth entry in the series I think mm-hmm. the Madeira that came right. after the Andean yeah and I, I didn't get the Madeira partially because as you mentioned the price and partially because it was close enough to that Andean Oak purchase yeah. that I was kind of like okay you gotta space them out you know, yeah. <laughs> y- yeah but not for lack of want and I would love to try the Madeira cask release if, if uh, you know that I don't know what the impression has been from from rum lovers on that one, but I, I, so I, I have interest in this for a few reasons, I guess. Number okay. one. A release of 4,200 bottles isn't small enough that I can't get it. I've sure. already seen, uh, so I saw the Indian Oak in my area. I saw the Madeira Cask in my area, and I expect I'll see this Sherry release also in my area for purchase as well. Mm-hmm. Again, price is more of the the mountain there than than availability. But I like that I can I, I see it come out on you know being promoted, and then I see it on a shelf. Yeah. I, I I like that. I, I want to see that from others. When I see limited releases that I get released online and I never, ever see them ever, it's just so deflating. So I like that in this case, I do see these come out, at least for me in the Miami area. But as you mentioned, am I going to drop $270 on this one at a 45% ABV rum? That's a tougher decision, but I'm not at a, I'm not at a complete no. I didn't realize
1: that it was 45%. Haven't a couple of the more, what was the Andean Oak? It was either
0: 43 or 45 as well.
1: Okay. I think, okay, this is what I was saying. The Madeira one was bottled at 55%. So I think maybe because that was the most recent release, I was just expecting this one to follow suit. So it's interesting that that one was so much higher strength than the others that I've seen recently.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm looking up the Andean right now is 48 Yeah. So this is lower than the last two in terms of ABV. And probably a little higher in price. So they've jacked the price up a little bit and lowered the ABV a little bit. I think that might be partly to do with, I think, a sherry cask is going to go faster. I think it's more recognizable. I think the two biggest finishes for people to kind of pick up on are sherry and port. Probably. From, yeah. So I think that the thought there is maybe this one's going to sell a little bit more despite that the higher price and the lower ABV. But it's not a no for me because number one, these this is an aged rum over 20 years. And oh, I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah, so it's aged in ex-whiskey casks for a minimum of 20 years and then an additional year in the Pedro Jimenez sherry casks. Okay, So yeah, that's a 21-year-old pretty... rum. You know, you expect to pay at least 140, 150 dollars for minimum. Yeah. Right. M- minimum rock bottom. And then, you know, am I willing to pay a little bit more if something is really just great? Yes. So 270 would be really on the high end for what I've ever purchased in my life. And it would have to take a lot for me to to buy it. So I w- this would be a try before I buy. But if I'm able to try this before a hand and really love it, I can buy it. The other thing that stuck out to me with this, Will, was the they took pains to say in some of the articles that this was really carefully watched as it was maturing in the sherry casks okay. over that year, and that Trudy Ann Brinker, we know you know, she's she's doing a great job in a lot of things over there, the Master Blender, for them, and this is her series, that she's really trying to pay close attention to when this is done and when the right amount of sherry influence is there. So that intrigues me enough to want to try this and then see how it goes from there.
1: Yeah, that, another quick question. I don't know if this has been released yet. Do you know if it's... Pot-column-blend. Pot, oh, it is. Col- yes. Okay.
0: Yeah, I've seen it's a pot-and-column-blend. That's correct.
1: Because I was yeah. just looking back, and Madeira, it looks like, it was all column-still. Right, um, right. But some of the other ones have been blend. Some have been all pot-still. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I do think that's interesting. I, I didn't know that it was 20 years old. I mean, we talk all the time about how you know, age isn't a linear scale of quality. But right. when you get to that old, especially a release directly from Mount Gay, that, that is pretty unique to see something that old being released. So, and, you know, me complaining about the price, I don't think what they're charging is unfair necessarily. It's just when, when, mm-hmm. when you get into that echelon of, of purchases, you know, I'm probably maybe only going to buy one rum that costs that much once a year or once every two years, maybe even. Yeah, so, I think that's because I mean, there's just yeah. there's, there's so much you can get for less than that. That's that's outstanding. So it's right. not to say, oh, they're just gouging people, that sort of thing. It's just, you know, when rum enters that tier of pricing, and I know it's limited, and it's not going to be distributed here. So I'd have to go out of my way to get it. It's just kind of like, oh, cool, noted. But you know, I'll move on. Mm-hmm. But with that said, we can probably go ahead and get over to the interview. A few, you know, uh, some additional background info I wanted to to give. We discussed DACA bend back when we recorded our rum cast guide to Mexican rum. But this was kind of a chance to actually talk to one of the two people who started it. And I was really eager to do that because our only other episode with a rum that comes from Mexico, someone associated with it was our, our Paranube's episode which was quite a while ago Mm -hmm. and ever since we did that Mexican Rum episode I mean we get emails about that episode pretty regularly people Mm -hmm. really are intrigued by what's going on there including both of us so this is a chance to catch up with someone who not only is like part of the brand but actually started it and Alessandro and his cousin Edgar they have a really interesting story basically like you have to go all the way back to 2000 for when it started so he and His cousin had moved to the the Bay Area after growing up in a a small town in Oaxaca. I believe it's called San San Cristobal La Chiriuag. And it was kind of their dream to do something that could bring more opportunity, more jobs back to where they grew up. And so Edgar comes up with this idea to make Mezcal. And again, this is around 2000. So I know Mezcal is like everywhere right now. Mm -hmm. But back then, my understanding is, I mean, outside of Mexico, not that many people really knew anything about it. It was nowhere near what it is today. And so they spent kind of the next decade, you know, working various jobs in the States and, you know, building this distillery back home, getting everything together they needed to do, planning agave plants and all this stuff. Because, you know, I think agave plants have to mature it's for like, like 10, 10, years. 10 years yeah, yeah before yeah. they're ready. So this is a very long-term thing. And then sometime, I believe it's around 2013, 2014, they launch their Mezcal brand, Mezcal Tospa, and begin selling it in the U.S. So I think they were really early in Mezcal. And that's something we're going to talk about with Alessandro during the interview. But kind of while they're doing this, I've read that, you know, Sugarcane and Aguardiente de cana, which is, you know, what... This type mm-hmm. of rum is referred to in that region. That was kind of in the back of their minds because they saw parents, grandparents making it, growing up, things like that. It was, it was, mm-hmm. it had a presence in, in in their community. And so, basically, after they've had success with this mezcal brand, they've now moved on, and or they haven't moved on. They're still doing the mezcal, but they launched Daca Bend several years ago. And so, it's it's just a really interesting, unique story. I, th- I think a lot of times when we we see mezcal brands or even mexican rum brands uh, it, it's it's often you know someone from outside has found a, a small producer somewhere and it's kind of like working with the producer to create a brand and like bring their 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 distillate whatever whether it's rum or, or mezcal to yeah. the rest of the world and in this case it's it's two cousins who grew up there and like built all of this, you know, from the ground up themselves, which I I just feel like I don't see as much, but I'm not as plugged into the Mezcal community as, as, you know, a lot of other people. But anyway, so it's, it's a really cool story. And yeah, Alessandro is, has been on the list for a while, someone we want to talk to. So was really happy to be able to put this together.
0: Will, there's one thing I, I do want you to ask him about, which is the name, document. So I've read already It's it, it, it means the one who doesn't listen. Right, yeah. Right, so I imagine in my head what that means to me is that, like, as they were conjuring up this piece of it, that like they would tell people and they would be like, "Are you crazy? Yeah, no yeah. No one's gonna buy a <laughs> rum from Mexico. It Probably, just, That's not a thing." And uh-huh. then they were like, "Yeah, we're still gonna do it anyways." But I want you to get the the official story there. I would love to hear more about that. So I definitely will,
1: and I'll also recommend when we were preparing for this. You know, I, I found. Do you do you know the
0: podcast Planet Money? It's a it's a really really popular. Podcast. I don't. It. It sounds like Kramer to me. Like, bye, bye, bye. Planet Money. Like, you know <laughs> what? what I'm talking about? Kramer, the guy. The the, the on Seinfeld. TV? No, not that Kramer. <laughs> the, there's a guy on TV who talks about buying and selling stocks. And I'm pretty sure his name is his last name is Kramer. Uh, <laughs> no idea. He's like, is this like he an has, infomercial like, rubber guy? hammers. No. Like it's, it's like a thing. You don't know about this guy. No. Is, he, uh, is this a show? Is he just popping Mad up on TV? Mad Money with randomly? Jim Cramer. Mad Money with Jim Cramer. That's what, what it's called. What are you watching? Called? Like MSNBC? What is this <laughs> Fox Business? This, what I is know, this on? It is CNBC, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't watch this. Anyway, <laughs> thank you weirdest for- It's the thing, but Planet Money sounds like
1: that. Thank you for completely derailing the discussion. Planet Money is a very popular podcast. I think it might be produced by NPR anyway, Back in 2014, they did an interview with Alessandro and his cousin Edgar, and this was when Mezcal Toastball was coming out. So, they really go into the backstory behind that. And it's funny to listen to now because, like, the way they talk about Mezcal back in 2014, it still sounds like this new, you know, thing that people don't know about. So, I'm guessing when they were creating that there were probably a lot of people saying what you're doing is crazy and so they were already mm-hmm. probably at that point the ones who don't listen so <laughs> i'll be sure to ask about that as it relates to dakabend though with that said we'll go ahead and go over to the interview all right we are here with Alessandro gonzalez molina a co-founder of dakabend rum mezcal tospa Alessandro, I, I was mentioning before we started recording, I, I've been meaning to reach out to you for a long time to have you on the show because it was, I want to say it was about a little over a year ago that I actually tried DACABEND for the first time. I was at an event for the American Craft Spirits Association, and someone I met there, Tanika Reeves, she runs a, a thing called Cocktail Bandits, and she had this little sample flask of DACABEND rum oh, and handed yeah. it to me. I tried it and I was just really immediately delighted by it. I've been kind of in this zone where I've been wanting to try as many of these Mexican sugarcane juice rums or aguardientes as possible because there's so so much exciting stuff coming out. And John, my co-host and I, maybe about a year ago, we did an episode that was all it was just the two of us talking about all things Mexican rum. And there was so much we had to look up to, to kind of give people a, an accurate look at everything going on because there's so much down there. And so it's just a really exciting category, I feel like. So excited to, to have you here to learn more about DACA Bend Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot. And yeah, I remember the meeting Anika. I think it was at a, a WSET certificate course in Tequila Jalisco and it was so cool. That that, that is, I just, yeah, I remember her telling me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm really happy that I, I was able to give her a sample and that's kinda what what I do. And yeah, thank you again for for reaching out and uh, yeah, I'm happy to to share and tell you about what we're doing and about what we have here in the region, you know? Right yeah. now I'm actually sitting in my my house in, in the mountains of Oaxaca. Yeah in yeah, San y- Cristóbal La y-
1: Chiruaca. You sent me some videos. I think you said it was sugarcane harvest season, right? And I saw the cane going into the mill and the, the mountains all around just looked absolutely beautiful. So how deep into harvest season are you right now? Like what's, what's kind of going on down there?
2: Usually we do the harvest because unlike other areas that I've visited or where, they look, where, where they have sugarcane, it looks more luscious. However here like the seasons are very different from one another for instance right now we're in spring where it's like the hottest season of the year here in Oaxaca oh, or really? where 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 I am and and yeah it's, the rainy season is about to start so we are actually finishing up the harvest season and okay. we it, typically it starts from December all the way to June or late late May depends depending on how much sugar cane you have how much you want to work and how much you want to produce but yeah typically you take advantage of the hot season where the the, the sugarcane doesn't have a lot of water
1: yeah i know from from talking to people who you know work with sugarcane and run production that rain can really uh can really mess things up when you get too much of it so how how many harvests is this for you now for for daca Bend related stuff
2: daca and this would be our third season okay our awesome. third season like where we actually go for it like we have done it like to start tasting the waters again because mm-hmm. yes we we grew up like in contact with distillation through sugar cane however we went to a different route that was that was as a kid like you would you just go to the places where you would buy you would they would be making either panela piloncillo, like the sugar, right. brown sugar or they yeah. would make it. so yeah and but then working with uh, about we were just really submerged into it that then it's recent like for five years that we started working a little more into into our guardiente. But yeah, officially first pay three years with the brand with being exported like like that and that's what I mean. Okay. And yeah, it's in yeah. a process too, like because it's been a process of putting it together and finding the label, putting the labels together and also and getting some help as well. So that it's been a it's been a process. So it's it's five years that I'm involved, three years that I'm more like more into the production process mm-hmm. than, and but yeah but it's always been there you know it's always been there for for us to 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 use to that we wanted to do it so we were we were really learning how to distill with those but learning we were we were building a place we were building a distilling right also you know
1: i w- i want to eventually get to dacaben but i feel like before we get into that i want to back up a little bit and talk about kind of the earlier days of, of Tospa, because I feel like that part of the story is is really kind of essential to understanding where Dacabin came from. But, you know, I, I was reading about you and, and your, your cousin Edgar and kind of the backstory and everything. And I, li- I listened to the, the great Planet Money episode that was, re- I think, released back in 2014, where I, I think um, the, the host was going around with you and you were taking Tospa into bars for the first time. Uh, when they recorded that and I, i was just you know i was trying to imagine i i know you know mezcal is is everywhere now i don't think that was as much of a case quite yet when you guys were started and i wanted to ask just what were kind of those early experiences like of of taking your mezcal you know this is san francisco around I don't know what year this would have been, 2014 maybe. I'm, I'm imagining the average bartender was a lot less f- familiar with Mezcal than they are now. What were kind of the early reactions like and how difficult was it to kind of get people to understand what you guys were doing back then?
2: Well, yeah, so that podcast came about as, as, as we were actually releasing Tosba into the States after working so many years previous to that, you know? right? We, we really started working with Tosba by planting the agave Edgar was the one with the idea he was the one the, the with the genesis of creating this however he invites me at some point and then and it we started with the with the planting the agaves i remember a funny a, a story that i thought the first time i didn't really know much that and i was really young that um 2000 plants of agave it was mm-hmm. just in a bucket you know After oh it wow <laughs> until they're really tiny and then uh-huh. share your agaves and then do what you have to do with them. And then eventually, yeah, you're, it takes eight years to eight. Well, especially here, it takes a little more than other areas. Like here, it will be like north more like nine to 10 years. However, For other sure. plants grow much faster here. Other types of agave, we noticed that recently so that we are kind of switching to not necessarily espadine, which was the first plant that we started to plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was kind of the, the, the early part of of getting into this world, at the same time working in Bay Area, because that's kind of where we migrated. And right. I was learning from everything from scratch, also from from the industry, you know. One of my first jobs in the U.S., right after high school, was bus bus tending, bus, bus boy, picking up uh-huh. table, picking uh-huh. up. And, and then eventually, I, w- well, I was at the same time, I was going to the city college to learn English as a second language. And I really went hard into, into it to learn and to be feel comfortable and to write and all uh-huh. those things, you know, with the language, because it was really shocking experience, oh, sure. not knowing. Yeah. And then you had to communicate, you know, but then I did it. And uh, Edgar comes around a year or after when I arrived. And then we, we, we started talking about this, this idea mm-hmm. that I had. So we went all the way to start sending money to 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 grow the agave until eventually all the agave was ready to be harvested. It was mature enough. It was flowering, and that was kind of that's the sign that we usually use for to harvest or to use an agave. At least that's what we were taught, and that's what we're still using. It doesn't necessarily mean. I recently learned that it doesn't like if it doesn't. Flower; it doesn't mean that it's not ready because eventually, oh, okay. sometimes it rots. If it's even if it doesn't flower, it will start to decompose the plant itself. I don't know why, and that's why I I know about some areas in Oaxaca that the agave has uh, it's ready been in, in, in less than eight years, six seven years. So mm-hmm. that's a, a, something that I recently learned. Anyway, so yeah. But at the same time, being working in the industry, I also a big difference that made in my journey. It's that I work at a French restaurant. Oh, really? A French restaurant where they would they would I mean took me under the wing to to do to learn terroir, the pairing, the appreciation, uh-huh. the, like the small portions, the, the regions, and kind of their approach on how how wine works for them, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was also re- also really helpful a lot to kind of look into mezcal and being able to okay, so there are different plants of agave. So it's similar to wine. So you have your, your, your grapes, your... Right, different
1: uh, agaves, different grapes. Yeah, different yeah. regions. And not only All that, around.
2: the terroir, sometimes you're in the mountains, sometimes you're in the valley. And not mm-hmm. only that, it, starts, it stops there. You have vessels, you know, different types of vessels. You have steels, you have clay pots, you have right. bigger equipment. And so that sort of world, like more like four-dimensional, kind of just put it together as well to understand mezcal. So yeah, that was really helpful too. But at the same time, we we had the agaves ready, but we didn't have distillery. We didn't have a. We didn't know how to make mezcal. And then right, Edgar, right, right. Edgar is the one that like, jumped into it, and then he's the one that learned how to how to how to distill, how to make mezcal. We hired mm-hmm. a guy from the the region to teach us how to make, how to how to cook the agave underground, how to build an oven. And um, meanwhile, I was in the States, like sending money Mm -hmm. to keep building, to keep funding the project. And eventually, where there were two steels, there were, it was really modest tools that we had that I, I I went back to Mexico too. I went back to, I came back to Oaxaca to, to go to business school. I studied because I, that also something I I had because I had migrated right after high school. So in the back of my head, I didn't have a, a degree or anything like that you know and I really wanted to do it so I went to business school international business it's where you kind of learn like the trade and how borders right, and the right. work and that sort of stuff I the one thing I wish I, I learned more though was finance because that's really really key on this business but eventually I learned it but after many years which yeah. have been, it's a different approach too that makes things much easier Right. However, right. yeah, all the marketing, the, the, the design, and all the like, how do you present your product? Yeah, that that I learned well. So yeah, that was so. It took us a few years to kind of try on error, fund the project, get the labels, get the permits, get the certification. Eventually, to the podcast where you, were the one that you listened to 2014, right. to I'd be able to show a product and say, "Here it is Mestel tosba," and at the same time, I had to go back uh, to the U.S. where I was uh, in this part of the the process. Education, as you were mentioning, people mm-hmm. were not really aware of what mezcal was. So a lot of it, we, we got involved in the, in the early days of education, of pouring, sampling people one by one almost, or making small events here and there, or talking to bartenders and explaining what what mezcal is and always yeah. is that that knowledge of wine to to, to to kind of make the comparison. So this is kind of how it is. And there, there's not a mezcal that you will like there until you find the one that you like because there's so many flavors, that sort of thing. So that was really, a lot of work was done. Like sometimes a lot of people would just say like, I don't like this, this tastes like small. And even it right. still had the stigma or the bad name, like even among my fellow Mexicans. They would say like, "No, what is this? I'm not a, a like, I don't know a, a drunk or whatever." What like, I like did? it's like mo- like
1: moonshine or something like that. Yeah, right? or yeah, something
2: yeah. Like this is not good. It's too strong. That sort of a thing. So yeah, you had to deal with that on the early days. But um, we had this in mind and we had this goal, and it actually helped a lot to other to the whole category, you know. And I was I'm really happy that I was actually there with a lot a lot of other brands that are also out. There. Like uh, I remember meeting. Gilbert from Illegal, uh, mm-hmm. who was really helpful and kinda inspiring too because he was more into the bartending side of things and which made me also jump into bartending and learn more about the, the trade and the drinks. And another way to, to sell or to introduce Mescal to people was through cocktails. So right, right, I also right. did that in order for to to be helpful for me to to understand, you know, the concept of bartending. So I did that too. And I started also by being a bar back, you know, mm-hmm, and eventually, mm-hmm. yeah, but then you have this confidence already where, yeah, you start making things much faster, much, much easier. But it takes the skill, you know, It's and I love my fellow bartenders as well, and it's a, it's hard work. Yeah, I, I,
1: I feel like you've really seen this industry from just about every possible side and angle, you know, from bartending to going out and selling the product to creating the product to creating the brand all that stuff there's like so many different skills that come into play it's 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 really amazing what what you guys have done at what point you know during obviously all of this that you're doing takes an incredible amount of time and work and and money to make it all happen at what point did you guys start to have that idea of like maybe we should do a, a another spirit as well, like <laughs> add that on top yeah, of we, Esco. When, yeah, when did we that? When
2: this one, but then let's do another one.
1: <laughs> yeah, like when did that idea kind of start to uh, to to come around, and 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 when? Did, what made you guys kind of take the leap to to add in Docker I
2: think it was. I mean, as part of getting to to, to know the the industry, learning about the industry, other products that are out there for bartending for mixing for another spirits in general is one of the reasons and a conversation and it was also always there you know it was always there and it was always there what do we do with that what do we and then there were other conversations like Dr. Matthew Powell from Seattle also once he came he suggested and but we had a kind of this idea and I remember one of those days that we were already started experimenting with the the, the milling and the fermenting and doing everything. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing that Judah from Bagó, from Paranois, actually came to our village, to kind of, I think he was a scouting for, for a producer. And uh-huh. definitely yeah, there, is, there is a guy who has a large machine, who makes rum, and like, it's a huge machine that it, to process a lot of sugar cane, you know? Uh-huh. And they've had it here for many years, like, in, I don't know, more than 50 years. It's not like seven years. They had this machine, but then it's like the guy that makes the rums here, you know, but he didn't really make a big deal. He just sells un- locally, you know. Mm-hmm. But then that was kind of, it was, it coincided many things there that just made us go through it. And, and again, going through the same process of creating a, the label. Uh, as I was saying, like this, like you put a name, you create a, the name for it. And the name Takavend actually means because of the the journey that I'm I'm telling you, the, 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 uh-huh. how hard has it been, and how stupid could it be for some people? <laughs> uh, you guys heard yeah.
1: that a lot. You you heard that a lot, didn't you?
2: Yeah, exactly. And that's our families and people from the village would say, like, dude, you guys went to school. For you, went, like, what are you guys doing? Working in the fields, working creating this. It's so hard. And uh, that they would use it, they would say DACA like the ones that don't listen, the, the disobedient ones, as mm-hmm, in like, a mm-hmm. bad way. But then we kind of flip it to do, to say, like, okay, we don't, we're the DACA but we're creating this, you yeah. know, and that kind of badass, out. yeah. Yeah, that, that's kind of, <laughs> that's how I feel about it, you know? Yeah, and yeah, exactly. The, the reason, and then we're kind of the same, like we, he was really a troublemaker, my cousin. And also myself, and then to kind of like, okay, let's own this and let's just do it, you know? Uh-huh, and that, uh-huh. that kind of where, where, where we, we started and how we started, how we switched to the cabin from going from Mezcal to the rum. And then mm-hmm. it was just also the ability to, to have the, the raw material available and also to have the skills and to have the skills of, of Edgar making and creating and testing. And also, he goes a lot into changing and, and and he talks about this a lot where sometimes people would judge you for because you're you're not come from generations of a mezcal right. making or, or like, you, you, you hear um, other,
1: you hear other you know distilleries and it's like four generations goes back a hundred years but you guys you know learned all of this within the last you know couple of decades
2: exactly and then that's how edgar takes it to he's like i'm giving a lot of, a lot of permissions to myself because i nobody's teaching me nobody's Especially among mescaleros, they're really jealous about like protective about their skills. Okay, yeah. Secretive. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then for he he changes this this time I wanna do this and this time I'm gonna put this much this mm-hmm. time this, I'm gonna wait this this much time, you know. So so that's at the same time he's being able to create an amazing product where I really like and I really love and having the ability to have tasted so many other things, so many other mm-hmm. products. He's just like really up there, you know, with uh with with a lot of skill the texture the flavor the way everything that he makes yeah. is it's really well well put and he has to do a lot with because he worked a in kitchens in the u.s where you mm-hmm. have to do your prep you know you have to measure this match of tomatoes right. of the impact of this product and then when it comes down to build a, a product it's where you just drop everything in there and then start moving your pen or whatever uh-huh, uh-huh. or your salt bowl or whatever. But then this kind of, his approach and he's really clean. Like everything has to be really clean for him to work on it. And it, it's a different style that he just, uh, he makes a lot of difference and, they, and I really love our, our product. And, and when it comes to Terroir, well, this is the, that's this the flavor that Tosba or Dakaben has. is the flavor of this region, you know? Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was, I was reading, um, an article. It's on a Mezcal website. What's the name of it? Um, yeah, it was mezcalreviews.com. They took a visit to San Cristobal de Le Chiruag to, uh, to visit you guys. And they had one line in there about you went down to the river and tasted the water and said it tastes like Tospa. And that really that stuck with me. I think that's that's really amazing. And I think that's what excites people about cane juice rums in particular is because that idea of terroir is becoming so prevalent in Almost every spirit category, even the whiskey people I know are starting to talk about terroir. But in cane juice rum, I think for for rum enthusiasts, when they hear about a cane juice rum from a place that they're less familiar with, you know, like Oaxaca, for example, over, over the last, I feel like five years or so is when people are really starting to try more of those, it's like you know right away this is going to taste completely different than a rum agricole from Martinique, for example, because the, the terroir is completely different. And that's what makes trying these rums so exciting. I, I wanted to ask, you, you referenced earlier that you kind of, you know, Aguardiente de cana was kind of around you growing up. And I just kind of wanted to get a sense of how how prevalent is sort of that style of spirit in the region, is it something that almost everyone, you know, is going to have in the home or like, is it the most popular spirit consumed around there? What's kind of the the culture of that look like?
2: Yeah, so before, well, rum or sugar cane was in, and coffee, it was introduced to the region, to this particular region where Sierra Norte, where we are, through mm-hmm. Veracruz. Mm-hmm. It was introduced in the late 1700s. Mm-hmm. Because before that, as you uh, done a little bit of history, the Valley of Oaxaca was, through colonial times, there was the use of cotton. But all that cotton was produced in all these regions, and it was through these comandas, the regions that existed, like little uh, p- spots or bosques of, of Spaniards in each region. And okay. the way they were collected to bring it to the valley where Oaxaca was the valley, which is more a more much easier to work with and they were doing a lot of the textiles for the world back in, back wow. in old days. Yeah. Uh, and that's why the reason was here in filled with the cotton. But then in the, which by the way, it's, they were using the, 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 the red, the cochinilla red that also made it to the, the rest of the world. It was happening during those times in Oaxaca. Oh, really? There is a documentary called The Perfect Red that talks about that. Oh, thing. wow. The red itself, how Campari, and it just went and to, the, to the rest of the world, you know? But anyway, going back to, to, to the region. So when that start, uh, stopped, like because of independence, because of all these things, people were like really, it was really different. It was really poor in these areas where there is a story about a general that lived in Veracruz that was mm-hmm. introducing other other crops, other things to for people to use. And the weather, even though it's a mountain's area and it's really hard to work, you're always like this yes, on 45 angles. It's, it's steep, uh,
1: yeah, in the pictures. it's, it's I'm, I'm sure harvesting everything is, 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 is really difficult.
2: We've been finding our ways, by the way, to how to work with it. But yeah, how to avoid that. But And I can share that a little bit later. But so yeah, that's how sugar cane was introduced. And sugar cane, I mean, traditionally has been made either and still is made. People make the brown sugar, the brown, yeah. also you can picture panela, yeah. The panela or rum. And the rum itself, it was always an in situ, like in place that like you will bring your meal, but it wasn't like it, also the metal meals were recent introductions. Okay. Because before it was a meal pulled by a horse, pulled by it, or pushed right. by people, and you were pressing the, the sugar again to extract the juice. It's a lot of hard work. And then, so. So people would consume that, it's either sugarcane and also the, the aguardiente. They were consume aguardiente. Mm-hmm. Also agave. But agave takes longer to make. And then in the 50s, 60s, there was a lot of migration from this region. Also okay. that the agave production, agave mezcal making just disappeared. And kind of, we were the ones to, at least in this region, there, was other, there are other villages that they still made it, but it's still, right. but then for instance, they don't have a lot of water, so they, they can't really grow much of what a sugar cane, so they can't really make much of a water. Okay. However, in this area, there is more water, there is more, the, the climate, it's more for it. So that's why people, yeah, use that. But yeah, at some point, people were consuming a lot of mezcal as well, but then through migration, like people start doing, it other products were introduced, beer, like for instance, and and, and other things. So that's kind of like the story behind.
1: And then so we were just talking about how, you know, Edgar kind of learned how to make mezcal. So when you decide to, you know, start doing the Aguardiente, is it just, uh, okay, let's take what we've been doing with mezcal and kind of apply that production style to Cane juice rather than agave. What, what was kind of the process like of then learning, okay, we're going to add this whole other spirit category. We got to learn to make that. What what was that process
2: like? It came up naturally to, for him. I remember seeing him like, well, also he has seen more of the rum making okay. himself because my, my uncle Felipe, his dad. He's, he was making, and re- I was recently talking to him to how they were doing it too. They really get; they were really involved in in in, in making a war You know, they would mm-hmm. stay there for months to at a place, at a field, like because they that's what they had to do. You know, they um people would come and bring them supplies or things like they would need, but they would be there like twenty four seven at a place like cutting the cane, like milling and mm-hmm, all that mm-hmm. fermentation. So he had seen that a lot before, more than me. But then at the same time, having seen it and being able to make it, he definitely, the, the route was mezcal making, the way the mezcal was p- processed, like paying mm-hmm. attention to your ferment. It starts, the rum making starts with the fermentation process where you start putting a lot of attention to what's going mm-hmm. on, what could change and what could go wrong. Because mm-hmm. it could go bad, your your sugar cane juice if you don't pay attention to it. But it's yeah. also with the way you cut it. Like it has to have, be, be fresh, you know. and don't let it sit there for a while. And right. You can start fermenting right away. Like you, when that's a really healthy fermentation. The one I saw you sent you, you. Oh know, yeah, in the, in the video. It, uh huh. Yeah, it's moving a lot. And then so yeah, that was the approach. And all the way to the the way you distill it, like how how long do you distill it and how. How much your bench should, that you pay attention to the to, to the firing of your of your seals. So that's mm-hmm. that was the, definitely the, the way to the, the it was approached. It was a combination of knowing him, knowing how to make it, and also applying what he he would do with, with the mezcal and making also adding things here there, some tricks for for the fermentation or for the milling. And recently, for instance, all that heavy work that happens sometimes. Sometimes we bring the, the meal into mm-hmm. the mountain and then we hose it down all the way. So so it's within and we do like really quick. And then we put a truck down by the road and then it just hose down the, the, the juice and then we oh, bring wow. it to the pillory. So okay, then nobody's so... carrying like this big glass. Well, we do sometimes, but carry not cane, it's really heavy. Like yeah. a, a r- roll, it's like 50 kilos. Like, and then the guys here are like, they will put more for you just for you to carry more.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, So what you're saying basically is that, you know, I think the way people picture this process a lot of times is people going out into the field, cutting the cane, then loading the cane up into a truck or something like that, driving it to a site where the mill is. But you're saying some of the time you guys are taking the mill out there into the field and juicing right there because it's easier to just transport the juice as opposed to taking all these big, huge bundles of cane with you.
2: Exactly. And then it's combination sometimes depending on where the, the uh-huh. thing is. But it's definitely much easier for, for us to to do that instead of... Because also the other way is you bring your steel to into this, to where the thing is, you know, to right, where the steel is. Right. And that's how we use, usually typically is for making panela or making... Or back in the day, that was how we... They did it like my grandpa. They would bring the steel into into where they would meal and they would do mm-hmm. everything. And that's why I mean, when they would stay there for a month or two months, right. to, like because they will they wouldn't have to be moving around. And then they will, if anything, that's within the within short distances to be mm-hmm. put in. The,
1: yeah. Do you, Do you have any producers there who make rum from panella rather than juice?
2: No, I, I'm. Heard of it? i I think I've tasted no, I don't I don't think I've ever tasted one, but I've heard in, in another region with of okay. how they were doing that.
1: Okay. Yeah, I've I've heard about it here and there, but haven't seen that many examples of it, you know, outside of the outside of Mexico at least. Exactly. So then, you know, we, we've talked to some of the, the guys from Paranu We had one of them on the podcast, and I know um, there's some really interesting approaches to fermentation. In, in Oaxaca, and I'd love to kind of hear what, what the typical fermentation process looks like for, for DACA Bend.
2: It, it's something that we call a continuous fermentation, mm-hmm. and uh, what that means it's well, if, if you don't have like a yeast going on, either you could go to someone, to a friend, if you can get a few jugs of the yeast or something, mm-hmm. that fermentation that it's already working, mm-hmm. then you can start right away. However, if you don't do that, like the way we we would do it, it's uh, start by little amounts of juice to start mm-hmm. fermenting in it and then start adding it, adding more in a big container and start building all the way to a, a huge container. Like, I don't know, the stuff that the containers that we use, it's about 10,000 liters okay. per container. And then once you have that going on and working and really healthy, then you start putting other parts in on different other containers and use that to start feeding your fresh pressed sugarcane juice until eventually you have enough so that you can start filling up your steels and and, and replacing it with the uh, with fresh pressed sugarcane juice and with a okay. matter of a day or two, depending how much you take, they they it should be ready, you know? So it will be typically from depending on the amount that you take from each each container, it will be ready in 24 to 48 or 72 hours, your your fermentation. But then you're okay. working already with different different bats, different containers, mm-hmm. and and you can feel like, you can start distilling continuously, you know? But then that's kind of like the two ways that you do it. You start building your fermentation and little by little until you get to the amounts enough to put into a still, mm-hmm. and then start filling it with, with fresh sugar cane juice or, or get somebody else's that's already working. And then you start like adding as much as you can, or th- as much as you got from the, as a, as a base, you know?
1: Okay. So basically you're building it up slowly. And then once you get enough to start distilling, you're then continuing to feed the fermentation more mm-hmm. fresh juice. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. So then and yeah, so, I mean, I, as soon as you put the sugar cane juice, you start seeing this bubbling like
1: this. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. So at, at at some point, do you distill through all of it and start the process over again?
2: And Usually, do you do you do that for the whole season? You don't stop it. You need, so just you one
1: continuous it. fermentation for the whole season. Wow.
2: Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, uh, if you stop one day, like stop milling, well, it, it will die, and then already will go bad, or, and then you you're you have to do it again. You know. Mm-hmm.
1: And so this yeah. is all, all natural yeast, You're, are, you, are you introducing uh, cultured yeast or anything like that?
2: No, but I'm curious about those things where people, because it's a concept I don't really know that they, there is yeast for, for this or other products. But mm-hmm. I'm really curious what we do, you know, just to see.
1: That's- so then, how you may have mentioned this earlier, how how many months then is that continuous fermentation going for? Like like how many months out of the year are you distilling basically?
2: In our case, it varies, but it will go from. I mean, it could go for six months if you want. And do yeah. you
1: do you notice? That does the the output stay pretty consistent, or as you're going through, you know, because the fermentation is. I, I'm guessing at some point it, it it hits a baseline of consistency, but you're constantly putting in new stuff. Does it ever change at all throughout the process in terms of the flavor of the end product, or, or is there variance at all throughout the season?
2: That I actually haven't really noticed. To to be honest, I have the the one thing that we lot on is putting like making sure it's alive. It's a, that it's alive. That it's keep going. It's mm-hmm. it's working. I don't really, I haven't really tasted the, the product because sometimes you, but you do also, it's, you just do the first distillation Mm-mm. just to get it out of, get so it, it it's out stable. Yeah. It's stable, exactly. Uh-huh. And then when the rainy season, then you start doing uh, the second distillation. Rainy and start doing second distillation. So I, that's something that I definitely will look into and I can get later to give you an answer of how that exactly works because, um, Yeah. Sometimes we put, we leave a a, a lot of first distillation to be distilled during rain. That makes sense. Yeah. Because it's raining, you're still busy. You're still like doing something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I know some distillers in, in New Orleans who do something similar because they have a short harvest season there. It's, you know, about three months. And so they'll, a lot of times they'll just try to knock out that first distillation so it's stable and they can finish it later so they can keep getting through all the, the cane and everything. In terms of the, can you can you tell people a little bit about the the stills that you guys use? Because um, I know you mentioned there's a variety of different still types that can be used for for mezcal and and if if I'm remembering correctly, you use the same stills that you use for Tospa for
2: daca bend, correct? Yeah, we will. Well, that was uh, the very first batches that we did. However, we recently installed like in this year we installed two stills. Okay. I mean, there is my friend Stephen, who joined the team and also he's, he's been getting involved also and then we built kind of a, a new place for that event itself ah, cool. and okay. that's what we're, we're using and uh, it's a really cool place I'm going to see more pictures it's really pretty uh-huh. and also another guy whose name is Rogelio he's from here uh-huh. and he's also joined the team to kind of do because it's it's a lot too like you're doing you- mezcal or making rum right? kind of like to have more hands and So, and this is the first, the first year that we're actually doing, because we, it was recently built at the end of the last year and then Mm -hmm. we had to put it and then put it to work and test it, you know, because it's Uh a different thing. Right, right, right. To make sure. And also, yeah, kind of the whole process also same as this new way to, that we're milling, like we're hosing down the juice and all these things. It's like a puzzle that we we're still putting together to, to able to. But so far, I the the, the rum that I, I already tasted from this season, it's uh-huh. really amazing. It's a bit different from what we had, but it's really good. So because we're paying attention now, it's more on its own. Like it's now involved with mezcal. Mm-hmm. Mezcal is in the top part, and we built this in a lower part. Yeah, right. yeah. And it's so like the, it's, I, a... whole it's something that's going on that's changing, mm-hmm. but definitely I will it it's changed we feel more comfortable by making it and the, the first batch you know the mm-hmm. second got like more interesting and the start's getting more interesting, just like we did with mescal. you start noticing certain things that you right right start like sticking to
1: uh, i I think that's one of the things that can be really cool from a from an enthusiast perspective of kind of following the journey with newer. Distillers um, is kind of seeing how everything evolves as 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 you guys have more time working with it and adjusting and, and growing and everything. So the, the stills that you have, Dacaben has its own stills now. Are these pot stills? Is it direct fire? What, what what does that kind of look like?
2: Yeah, it's copper pot, and yeah, also it's fired by by wood. Okay. And yeah, those are that's kind of what, what we're using. Mm-hmm. And then on the on the
1: cane side of things, I think I read you're using one one variety of sugarcane called caba. Is that correct?
2: Mm-hmm. That's the name that they know it in in the region, and it's a green sugarcane. We mm-hmm. yeah, they they don't really use, or it's not really common to use, except for Dia de Muertos when you build your altar. That's oh when really? They do the 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 negra. Uh huh. Caña Negra, yeah, that's when they use it because, I don't know, but that's how they use it. And there's other villages that use it, like in Yalala to make sugar, but to make panela. Okay. Yeah, that I just remember. But here in the Chiruac, they use it to make, to build their altar with it during the other morts. Wow,
1: and so that's the same the same type you're using
2: for the rum? Uh, no, the, the black one they use for... Uh, oh, okay, uh, that's the, you, the you guys altar. are using the green kind, okay. The green kind, and we okay. call it cabatan. I recently went to another region where they make sugar sugar, and I noticed that the sugar cane was a little different so i'm'm I'm, I still need to also go more deep and more academic on in finding what like the types of sugar cane because I'm pretty sure like there is other types maybe more sweet For sure, more, less sweet than like that
1: have Have you guys tried using the the black cane at all
2: no okay we we got a a, a plot of land and we we're putting we're, we're gonna test it there, build that. Okay, cool. Yeah, but do you for that like it's uh you need the the, the seeds, then you start mm-hmm. in a matter of two years you will mm-hmm. have your first harvest.
1: And it is the cane that you're using, is that are are you guys growing that all yourselves or do you purchase that from, from farmers? What does that look like?
2: Well we have a couple of fields of our own, but also the, we buy from others, which also makes a really it's a really cool thing that we're doing cause people are getting excited and getting happy that we're actually yeah. are buying their their, their their sugar cane. And mm-hmm. especially the elders, they're were saying, like we, need, we didn't see this before. And it's cool that you guys are doing it. And it's making a difference. People are happy and people are also getting inspired by it. making those changes, you know, they, yeah. yeah, keeping people busy. Yeah,
1: I know in in reading your and and Edgar's story, like a a big part of what you why you guys wanted to to do this in the first place was that you know you said so many people were growing up and leaving the area to go find work and everything, and you guys kinda wanted to bring not only great products that express the region, but jobs and opportunities for, for people who live there. So I wanted to ask, you know, with that in mind. How much do you feel like has has kind of changed in the region since you started Mezcal Tospa? And, and how is DACA Bend kind of helping to assist in that as well?
2: Well, for starters, there was not really like the entrepreneurial spirit it, mm. it rooted in, in us. And now there is a lot of other products. Like I see brands of coffee. I see brands of also brands of rum. And not only that, also, well, the whole category of Oaxaca itself, like growing with a lot of brands of mezcal yeah. and even other people, they definitely it's, it has changed. Probably we haven't really gotten a lot of the benefit yet ourselves, but definitely for others, we have created this 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 synergy with others and just kind of interact and we buy their products. We use their services, you use the trucks, their things like that, you know, or definitely we buy their products raw materials there are crops and things like that which that mm-hmm. didn't exist before and it's definitely something that i'm i can't wait to start sharing and thank you for the opportunity to to be here because this uh yeah. it's something i really wanted to express that it's definitely making a difference it's especially for us it's not really because of a trend or or, or just that you know because we've learned also we've gone really deep into the industry and then we're yeah. kind of align this uh, like where everybody's involved and just also make money out of it you know and, and, yeah. and have and 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 we love the support and we would love to have more support you know to to make this reality to make it like a really also thing so that it is making a difference and everybody's mm-hmm. getting involved and yeah really excited about this part like i hope soon to be out there more yeah,
1: yeah. well i know like from within the the rum enthusiast community i feel like there's so much interest in Mexico and, and Oaxaca in particular. Like when we released that episode I mentioned earlier, which was it was just called the Rumcast Guide to Mexican Rum. We got so many emails from people who were just either sharing, you know, experiences they had had with trying various brands from from the country or people with questions. There's just a, there's a lot of interest and excitement. So I'm excited for, for more people to find out about what you guys are, are doing. And I wanted to ask, you know, about that kind of the, the category of Mexican cane juice rum, I know it's Aguardiente has, has been made there for, I think, over a century. But it's kind of just now that all these brands are starting to come together and hit export markets, find their way to shelves in the US. Where do you kind of see... The category going in the future because geographical designations for tequila for mezcal have played a big role in those categories. We've seen Taranda in, in Michoacan have have its own designation. Do you anticipate Oaxacan producers ever coming together and kind of pushing for some type of designation for these types of rums? What, what, and I, I know I'm, I may be getting you know way out in the future, but uh, what do you kind of see see from that?
2: Well, that's uh, that's the goal, definitely, at least for us to to do something like that, mm-hmm. and the experience also of meeting people like Francisco Terrazas, where he also mm-hmm. sees the need of joining forces, of being ourselves together too. And I really appreciate him too because he he's, he's reaching, he has reached out, and we definitely still need to put some some seminar, something together in order to share these exactly the things that you say, like how. Mm, Aguardiente has been here, has been consumed it, with its ups and downs where times it, it gets the same reputation like mezcal. Mm-hmm. However, there are really good products, really good producers, really good distillers and really high quality yeah. Yeah. products that it's worth making uh, drinks or exploring it on its own. Because if it's really well-made, you can just like sip on it and just kind of appreciate everything mm-hmm. on it and it will give you like the, the flavor of the, the place. And also, yeah, it's an opportunity for others too that I think I have seen, people have seen that it's following a little bit of the, the route from tequila to mezcal, and then it's a spirit. And so, yeah, definitely, I would love to see it to grow more, and I think it will grow more, and especially we're the ones responsible to make it grow too, and people like you too to be talking about it, but <laughs> I think it, it, it will definitely will grow, and we'd we'll love to see that happening. Oh, you guys, you guys are doing all the
1: hard work. Yeah. Fra- Francisco is great. I'm glad you mentioned him. he He's, we had him on the podcast maybe a couple of years ago to, to learn more about Paranubes. And I remember he recommended this book to me. I, I believe it's called Sugarcane and Rum, I think is the name of it. But it's basically the history of kind of sugarcane in Mexico, because I, there was so much about that, that I didn't know. I, you know, I didn't realize how far back sugarcane went. And, uh, so much really interesting history, and you know, like you were saying, this this style of spirit isn't new. People didn't just start doing this. So, yeah, it's it's really exciting. Do you do you think there's like when you're kind of looking at the category of cane juice rums in Oaxaca right now? Do you think there's anything that that category can kind of learn from from the growth of mezcal and how popular that's become?
2: Yeah, I mean, it, there was an article on punch. With uh, uh-huh. she writes about it and how there is there's definitely has the opportunity. I think well, uh, in my experience, well, I'm not so happy with a lot of things with the within the law, within the norm of mezcal, mm-hmm. how difficult it is, and I think definitely we we shouldn't be repeating those mistakes, and, or whoever, or, or if that's somebody else's uh, part of interest. I don't know, but as myself, if I, if it comes down to putting a, a framework or right, a, right. Or, or, a, or or a law or something, or I'm mm-hmm. learning from a lot of other uh, denominations of origins, the opportunity, you know, to learn right. from a lot of them, a lot of other denominations of origins, especially of the Mexicans, and see which ones can provide and like make things more productive, more efficient for right. for the producers themselves, you know.
1: Right. I feel like that's always kind of the question with denominations of origin. It's like you want to create some sort of framework to, to make something defined and distinctive. But then at the same time, sometimes you give up flexibility, freedom, creativity, things like that in the process. Is, is there anything specific that you think rum should should look to avoid in, in, in kind of, you know, defining itself?
2: That's a m- more interesting question to think of. Um uh, <laughs> uh, putting you on the spot a little I, bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I'm I'm so involved into the process and putting it together that uh uh-huh. this is kind of reflection sometimes, they come to me at night, but uh before going to bed. But and it's such a clean cleaner spirit as well that because for instance with before we release the like when we send it to the lab and see compared to the to the normal mezcal it's really clean you know it doesn't have so much many things in it that um that is something that i could say but i, I could refer to but i, I guess it's more so of that, a, that
1: that's like a chemical analysis
2: mm-hmm. yeah okay to, chemical, to feel like yeah we're we're, we're we're producing what we're creating you know gotcha but uh, to avoid and to say uh, what the rum should avoid it's I guess just take the positive from, from mezcal. I don't I mm. don't really can think of something really, yeah. So that it's great. That it's it's a little less time that it takes, and it's less right. invasive. Let's for sustainability reasons, let's consume more mezcal. I mean more aguardiente because mm-hmm. it's much faster to grow. It's less of a heavy, crazy caring job for the <laughs> maker, and also it's. I think also it has more, in terms of cocktails, it has more flexibility. You can go so crazy with it too. And so it has yeah. more room to, to like, especially the rum I especially this kind of aguardiente de caña, you can make uh-huh. so many things and especially for bartenders, it's where... You can just make magic with it, you know. So I I love
1: I love putting a a good bottle of cane juice rum in a bartender's hand because they can do amazing things with it for sure. Um, I did want to ask. I think um, somewhat recently, correct? If if it it wasn't recently, correct me. But you released a four year old aged bottling of Daca Bend. And I I'd, I'd love to hear kind of what your aging program looks like, and if you plan for that to be a big part um, of the of daca going forward. You know what what other types of uh, aged releases might we see in the future?
2: Well, yeah, it, well it's part of growing and, and the learning path and the learning process of getting and creating daca It's also the the aging part. Mm-hmm. We started this with. Uh, uh, four barrels that we had for use from bourbon. And uh, somehow we got our hands into it and we just kind of kept... It's warmer here. And I don't know if that's the reason that it keeps going, the, the, the level. So you have to like add more spirit mm-hmm. to it for mm-hmm. the angel chair. That we just had it there. You know, as I said, we were... We had this idea of, of making the rum. We started making some some of the experiments and we start filling up those barrels. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we... God. But then again, we we need the funding, we need the money, and we're allocating right.
1: money, especially for barrels. Aging is expensive. Yeah,
2: it gets expensive. Gets you need to invest a little time and money to get the barrels and just to fill it up and have your product there. So that's. But however, we were able to do that because we we didn't we didn't have the brand yet. We didn't have the place to sell it, and it was mm-hmm. just sitting there. And then every time we would make our in would. However, before the pandemic, I was able to to move to New York. And uh, there I was able to work at a distillery, Kings County Distillery. It's oh, a whiskey really? distillery cool. in, in yeah. Brooklyn. Uh-huh. And they were, they, they, the guys were amazing. Like the distillers, the the owners, the the blender, mostly Ryan, he's the one who, because I had this background on mezcal, like smelling, appreciating different types mm-hmm. of agave, he was really kind to kind of take me under his wings. Teach me. You taught me a lot of things about how you like opening barrels and tasting, sampling, and going right, to create right. the blend and paying attention. Like, he will like really get us involved with with Sama's and other guys to to create that. So that mm. definitely, it's the back of my head that it was something that I had already experienced for like more than a year working mm-hmm. at, a, at a at a distillery, whiskey distillery, especially distilling. I mean, especially blending. Yeah, to where yeah. you get the experience and how to build the profile, that sort of thing. So, something that we definitely are looking forward to to integrate and put together. And again, this is an opportunity for me too. If somebody wants to get involved with the financing and investing in this project, also it's yeah. open because it, it's it's there. You know, we are making it. We are have the the know-how, the the, the experience of, and definitely it's something that could happen and. The one the rum that we released, it was kind of with us, the tiny micro blending that we did. Uh-huh. And, and one actually was sold directly as a, as a single barrel to a club in New York, the drum. Yeah, so they, they picked up a barrel for them. And exclusively sold to them. It's a, it's a, a jewel because there's nothing like that, and it was really delicious to to them, the drummers in in New York. So then they they that's and then the rest we we bottled on seven fifty, but it's it's really delicious. It tastes like you can still taste the, the sugar cane, but mm-hmm. with the blend of of the wood and this cherry vanillaish nut kind of yeah, yeah yeah kind of where you get, but it's really delicious and it's. Something that we're, we're retaking and we're doing. And we're definitely going to keep doing, you know, because it's, yeah. it's delicious. And probably l- l- talk to somebody else who we can do either. you know how you start with small barrels or mm-hmm. go up for a bigger one? I don't mm-hmm. know. That's kind of.
1: Yeah, I know at, at Kings County, they use a lot of smaller sized barrels, right?
2: That's how they started in order to keep growing and to get mm-hmm. to, the, to the 50s, okay 60s, Gallons, so now it's everything. It's in fifty six. Okay, gallons. got it. Are we got actually, it. I was there when we they we were start getting rid of the the smaller the, the 10, 15 uh-huh. gallons. But yeah, I think
1: that's 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 really cool that you were able to spend time up there and um, learn about blending and everything. You know, we've already talked about so many of the things that you guys, so many parts of building this kind of business, so many different things you have to learn. And I think a lot of times when Rum enthusiasts hear about a newer producer. They're like, "Oh, when are you when are you guys gonna start aging stuff? You know, when's when's the age stuff coming out?" And it's like, on top of learning everything else, like aging and managing the barrels and blending, like there's so many new skills that you have to incorporate on top of all that to make something that's really good. So it's so cool to hear that you're still out there, you know, learning from from other people and incorporating all that into what you guys are doing. It's it's really exciting.
2: Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And it becomes a lot of work. And then we're slowing down, just kind of stopping with, with what we have. And not and not, not to say not to grow, but just to kind of focus and make sure we deliver too, you know, because sometimes it gets difficult to find back And thank God, and I thank people too, that they're really taking care of us with, with buying Toastbacks. Mm-hmm. Also, so the reception has been great. However, yeah, you need to be consistent in order to keep, Providing, you know, and as you said, that we started this other project because at the same time, here in the region, there is in during this time, there is mango, mango season that starts ah. like around May or late May. Uh-huh. And uh, so, we've been experimenting with that too. And we're distilling, like, it's like an UDB, like just well, yeah, I was gonna mango. say,
1: like, a, like a mango
2: brandy, mango brandy. And that's, that's awesome. How we're actually have like five dinas if we're going for more to to be able to. Also I need something that we already released we're already re- releasing and put it yeah, okay. something that we would like to add to, to the products that we make and and using the the, 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 the products that the, that we have here because those mangoes just were falling on the on the ground and it's again going to the, the same concept of learning how to at the end we're becoming distillers you know we're more right, of. Right. A, and, and a lot of, and also the crew, the, the team that we have, the guys that work with us, they have gone through the same process of learning everything. Mm-hmm. So they, mm-hmm. a lot of the guys also they they know a lot of distilling, a lot of fermenting, a lot uh-huh. of uh, all these things. And and they yeah the crew that we work with, they're not even from this region. Sometimes they come from other areas that they oh really work yeah, and then um, they come rotate and then people. They rotate like a team goes and then comes back. They stay here for three months, four months. Mm-hmm. OK, like they, cool.
1: I, I think in one of the videos you sent me from the harvest, I think there was one where I saw a bunch of fruits being gathered in, in kind of buckets. Were those were those the mangoes?
2: Yeah, I think so. OK, yeah,
1: yeah that's great. I would yeah. love to uh, taste taste mango brandy. I've never had mango brandy, but I, I love ma- mangoes. And a, a good eau de vie is always is always great. So yeah, I'll have to keep an eye out for that.
2: And then you can see, again, the quality of the spirit, like the, uh-huh. the, you can see it a lot on how consistent it is from Tosba to Takaven to the Udebi to, and not only mm-hmm. the, the, the Espadín Mezcal, but other types of agave, like it's mm-hmm. very, con- very, say, elegant, really luscious, really velvety. Like There's it's like a,
1: signa- a, a signature that goes through everything, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, definitely. That's yeah. kind of weird.
1: One more, one more thing I wanted to ask about was so often when I hear about a mezcal brand and even a lot of these cane juice rum brands that are coming out of Mexico, the, the story is usually someone from outside Mexico kind of coming across a, a palenque or a, a producer while they're traveling in Oaxaca and wanting to kind of like bring it back and share it with the rest of the world. And then, you know, they create the brand, they buy the mezcal or maybe they'll form a partnership with, with the mezcalero and then they market and sell the mezcal. You, you and Edgar are kind of like the opposite, you know, you guys grew up there, you built the Palenque, you know, you went, you studied business, you created the brand, you exported it, you guys kind of do everything. And so, um, you know, I, I, I have, not that much knowledge of mezcal you know i I stay pretty focused on rum but what i wanted to ask was just is is the way you guys have done it is that still a rarity or is is that just you know my
2: perception is flawed i think it's really rare Mm -hmm. definitely i feel like the way we got involved in everything on in many aspects just trying to understand it's something but not we are the only ones if i can think of anybody else who's got to Learn all these things—the mezcal, the types of agave they they mm-hmm. rub and the distillation process and all that. I think it's unique, and it, and I think it also has to do that because the fact of going to the U.S. and I know some people get upset about this—the American dream is dead. But sort of that uh, motivation, being in Silicon Valley, being like where you just like like motivated about mm-hmm. creating things and putting t- to things together. Out there, it, this is kind of where we ca- we relate to a lot, but also the hard work and the heavy work that we grew up and relate to living in Oaxaca or as a Mexican, all the, putting that together. And that last part that I really was missing and still missing, it's the finance in order to put it all together, because I, I know it's a beautiful story. We've been working our or we've been trying to put it together in order to provide something really good to help people, you know, mm-hmm. and do it ourselves. And for instance, we don't buy mezcal from others to, to 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 bottle. But then that's ultimately the American dream or something that I learned a lot myself from living in the U.S. or living in, in, in California, how mm-hmm. practical people could be, how just focus or they, you could create things. And, and definitely, yeah, we are a rarity, I think. The, the fact, the way that we have it put together,
1: is that a little bit because you guys are uh, the ones who don't listen.
2: Probably, <laughs> Time to make a now, I guess. Awesome. I um, I I
1: well. Alessandro there's there's one more segment of the Rumcast, and this will be this will be um, a first time thing normally my co-host John Gullah who couldn't be with us tonight he has this special segment he does at the end of every interview called the rapid fire round where we put about 60 seconds on the clock and we ask or John asks usually a bunch of very short questions that are usually like either or type answers and we see how many you can answer within the time frame and some of them are fun some of them are silly you know that kind of thing but since john isn't here i've had to put this together myself and i'm gonna have to be the one who does it so you know it's gonna be a first time thing but i wanted to ask if you were you're up for still trying it
2: yeah i think i've (laughs) never done this before but yeah i only see celebrities doing this (laughs) (laughs)
1: you're 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 officially a rum a rum celebrity now so yeah like i said this is a first time for me too so uh there's an equally large chance that i fall on my face doing this but after hearing everything you've done to uh to build daca bend and and mezcal tospa i think that you can i think you'll be able to handle this this should be easier than a lot of that stuff so if we're ready to go i'll put 60 seconds on the clock and then we'll jump right in are we ready go All right. Neat or on the rocks? I'll go neat. Okay. Column still or pot still? Pot still. Gotta be, right? Pot still rum. Aged or unaged? I'll have them both. Okay, we'll allow that. Um, This should be an easy one. Molasses or cane juice? Cane juice. (laughs) What about this? Espadín or tobala? Tobala. Okay, all right, all right. If you had to name another Mexican rum maker that you admire, who would it be?
2: Mexican rum maker? uh, That would be Edgar. Edgar. There there you
1: go. Okay. Easy answer. How about your favorite person to share a bottle of DACA bend
2: with? With Kami. Kami. Kami Ray Kenner. She's from uh, Portland. Okay. She's my girlfriend. Yeah.
1: All right. Okay. Great, great, great answer then. So, as we know, Dacabin means the disobedient one, which friends and family used to describe you and Edgar. I, I saw a lot of pictures. You have horses there at the Palenque. I wanted to ask, does the disobedient one, does that apply to the horses as well? Or are they pretty good at following directions?
2: This, we've had I mean, you have a, uh, they're, they're, they're good at following directions. That's it. <laughs> okay, However, good. just to extend on to that, we had everything passed away. That's why oh, these, no. these two are really young and they're still growing. Uh-huh. And, but the previous one, the both really were really wild because Malo, we, His name was Malo because he was just like walks through you like he wouldn't care. He would push you. And (laughs) sometimes I don't know where he would try to bite you. Like you're like, and then Rojo, since he had an accident, he just became wild. Like he wouldn't come back to work. He would just run away because we had the river and we had a right. So he was really running wild. And there was a point that he just didn't want to like pull or work or
1: so there's there's some daca bend in, in the horses too yeah <laughs> um your favorite cocktail to make with daca bend
2: i'll go with the classic uh uh consumer daiquiri yeah uh, uh, yes yeah can't go wrong with that
1: Okay, I've really been wanting to ask about this. So Mezcal fans will be familiar with the style of Pechuga in which an additional distillation that incorporates oftentimes a meat like chicken or turkey into the process. I know you've done some Pechugas with Mezcal Tospa. What do you think about the idea of a Pechuga rum? Is that good, bad, or crazy?
2: It's crazy and it's good.
1: (laughs) Crazy and it's good, I like that. Yeah. Okay. And finally, last question. I read that the bar at the Palenque is made from an old church altar. So I wanted to ask, what would be an appropriate prayer to say before enjoying a glass of dacabin there at the altar? Salute. <laughs> that's perfect. All right, that's time. You got through it and we both made it. That was my first time doing that. So we both made it to the end. I think uh, we can give both of ourselves a little pat on the back for that. Alessandro, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're really busy uh, down there in, in Oaxaca right now. You've got a lot going on. It's, you took some time out of your Saturday evening to talk with us. So really appreciate you coming on the show. Is, but before I let you go, was there anything we didn't get to? Anything about DACA, Ben, that you, you want to share with everyone before we wrap it up?
2: I think we went through most, uh, most of it. And uh, most of all, I, I want to thank you t- for taking the time to, to, to do this interview. And um, I wanted to say every, to everyone out there that, yes, we're making a great spirit, and I really hope you guys in, 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 in enjoying it. And, and please try to find them. Uh those, it's hard to to get. Mm-hmm. The Cabin, it's a little much, it has a little more distribution and mm-hmm. we can't wait to share you, to keep sharing you what we're doing. And also if an opportunity, if somebody wants to invest, here yeah. we are, we're open. To get a hold, try. get a hold
1: of Alessandro.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, I mean, we have a lot of product, made and we're just ready to to share and to to give it to the world.
1: Yeah, well, I know rum fans are, are really eager to try more of it, so we're really excited to uh, to see what you guys do next. But thanks again for uh, for coming on the show, and uh, we look forward to seeing what what comes next from Dacabend.
2: Thank you. Thanks a lot.
1: All right, everyone, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Rumcast. I hope I was able to do the interview justice on my own. Hopefully things didn't completely fall apart without John there, but John will be happy to have you back on the next interview uh, coming up, which will be out in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But until then, we put some links up in the show notes. I'll include a link to that planet money episode <laughs> that I <laughs> mentioned at the end of the intro. So you can learn a little bit more about their backstory. Uh, we'll put a link up to the DACA Band website. It goes, has some good details some photos, some stuff about their process. So some good info there. As always, we'd love to hear any questions, comments you have about DACA Bend, other Mexican rums, very exciting category. So you can send us an email, host at rumcast.com. That's H-O-S-T at rumcast.com. Or you can contact us via social media. John, where can they find us there?
0: Yeah, we're at at the Rumcast at uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can definitely leave a comment on any one of those posts or DM us directly if you want to tell us what, what kind of rums you're looking at buy, buy, buying. And that's a Mad Money reference, <laughs> by the way, Will. Uh, right, thanks for explaining it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and or what you're interested in, we want to hear what's going on. Where where should we be looking next? What should we, we be talking about, and who should we be talking to? Definitely keep sending those. We we love to hear the feedback from you, and that's a great way to do it. If you're not an email person, yeah. So with that said, uh, you know, thank you for taking over the duties, Will, for this episode. I am looking forward to being back, as you said, and we've got a lot of great stuff coming down the pike. I think so. Yeah, we uh, do. Stay tuned.
1: And yeah. if you want e- even more Rumcasts, you can go to patreon.com slash the rumcast that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash the rumcast we're doing bonus episodes happy hours all kinds of good stuff there so if you'd like to join in and support the show we always appreciate it you can do that there but i think that's it for now john so looking forward to having you back on the next episode see you
0: then